When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, it's 1.17 a.m. and uh, Sebastian Corder and Andre Rublev have just got onto the court as we come to you. Catherine is home from her shift at Prime Video. Matt's been sent to bed. Actually, he's not. He's just listening to this because he's going to edit it in a bit. Um, <laughs> it's, it would be too loud in his house. He'd wake up the whole house if he was on the show. So uh, Catherine and me are going to do it. Uh, Catherine is equipped with uh, a beer in one hand and a glass of wine in the other, which has got my respect so Catherine you've gone up in my estimation uh, how are you doing when you have to wait till 1am for your first drink um it's like when you go to the supermarket when you're hungry and uh, you just buy your supply of crisps that's uh, the alcohol equivalent of that has happened to me tonight yeah is it one of those where you sort of put the crisps in your trolley and you start eating them before you paid for them I'm not a shoplifter, David. That wasn't what I was getting at. <laughs> Is that a thing? I've done that a few times. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, actually, get, let's let's start with Sebastian Corder, shall we? Because he's just got onto the court against Andre Rublev. I, I understand that by the time you all listen to this, he's probably lost one six one six. But anyway, he's, even if he has, he's still had a heck of a week and. I don't know about you, but I think this is the first week that I've seen a full tennis match of his from start to finish and really grasped what he's all about. And I'm massively excited about him. I think I'm as excited about him as anybody that I've seen in men's tennis for a year or two. Yeah, I think I am too. And I really wasn't expecting to say that. Um, my fault for not knowing enough about Sebastian Corder to know how exciting he is. I think I thought, oh, the hook there is that his dad's Peter Corder and you've also got the hook of, you know, him being from such an illustrious sporting family. His two sisters, Jessica and Nelly, they're both playing today, aren't they, on the LPGA? Yeah, I mean, so they're professional golfers. He's a professional... Te- and, and I agree with ones. you. I, I thought he would be kind of the... Ah, oh, bless him, he's having a go as well, brother, you know, uh, following the, in the footsteps of his dad, Peter Corder, who was a, a French Open 
runner-up and an Australian Open champion and a world number two um, and his his mother a very good athlete and his sisters really ripping it up in in the golfing world um, and and to be honest it's quite interesting that he didn't make massive waves as a junior that I can really remember in terms of you know it, what is he now is he 18 19 something? he's 20 20 but it's 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 been gradual, hasn't it? They haven't just sort of thrown him into everything and him have prodigious results the way Yannick Sinner and Felix Auger-Aliassime have had. Well, his his team, um, and I'm sure his father was heavily involved heavily involved in it. Although he's not, I don't think he's ever had an official coaching title. Um, but he describes him as sort of a guide, a, a, a spirit guide for his career. Um, they turned down a lot of wild cards. Um, when he was having big junior results and at the stage when he was being offered wildcards, and I'm sure the number he was offered was helped by his last name, um, they turned them down and uh, elected to have him grind it out and get the miles on the clock on the ITFs and then then the Challenger Tour. So that's why we're only really becoming properly aware of him at 20 years of age, which is hardly old, but compared to, you know, it already feels like Yannick Sinner has been around the block a bit, doesn't it? And he's 19. So um, that in itself is interesting um, that, you know, with a name like that, I, I imagine there would have been quite a lot of pressure for him to to get as much limelight as he could and, and sign the big sponsorship deals and, create some waves um, and he's he's put his career progression first. It, it reminds me of um, Felix Auger Eliassime's decision to, to skip skip Wimbledon and the grass and, and go when, uh, a few years ago um, when he was just breaking through into the senior tour and go and grind it out on smaller clay court events in South America um, and just make winning a habit. Um, and that's, that is, that's what it looks like to me that Sebastian Sebastian Sebi apparently you're supposed to call him Sebi is it am I um, oh. well that's what his Twitter handle is and oh, I I'm not doing that no nor am I and I'm actively not doing it on Prime but I think we might reach the stage where he says call me Sebi alright okay well if we'll he's, have to if he makes me do that then I'll do it but um, yeah. I'm not doing it pre- you know, no, I'm just forewarning you, David, that okay. his Twitter, hand, Twitter handle is Sebi Corder. Right, okay. All right, Sebi. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if he goes and wins me 510 points in the newsletter predictions, I'll call him whatever he wants, frankly. Uh, but he's got to win the tournament in order to do that. And his chances of doing that have, have increased dramatically over the last 24 hours. Um, well, be- Greg, Greg says he's better in ever. I mean, this is soon to be out of date. Tennis news. And who knows how well it will date? But Greg says he's he, the stats say he's better in every department than Andre Rublev. Oh, really? Oh, that's very interesting. And Daniela says he'll be top ten by this time next year. Wow! She thinks of all the youngsters, um, and I, I I think this obviously takes you know we're taking the established we're taking Sitsipas and Medvedev out of the equation. We're talking about the next next gen now. Who I'm not endorsing that title. Um, I'd like I'm only calling them that because no one's come up with anything better. <laughs> um, I'm talking about your Sinners and your Mazzettis, uh and your maybe even your Alcarazes. Oh, um, you sound like a football pundit, Catherine. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, she, yeah, top 10 this time next year. That's big. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Facially, he does look quite like his dad, all, albeit probably a much better looking version who sh- sort of should be in a film or something. Um, uh, and he's got real charm in interviews. Has he? He's got um, something about him. Yeah, he's done a lot of um, Tennis Channel interviews this week because uh, Tennis Channel are on site in Miami and I've seen him visit the studio a few times and he's, yeah, he's got something about him. He's got that mm. twinkle in his eye. Yeah. Uh, well, he's got lovely, smooth ground strokes. We were talking before we came on air tonight with Matt actually about how Diego Schwartzman, the man he beat in the previous round, has compared him in terms of his game style to Thomas Burdick, which um, I can see I can see the point being made. I would say he looks smoother and he looks certainly a better mover. I mean, Burdick has that gorgeous forehand that, that is so purely struck, but... I would say Corda is is one of the smoothest looking movers that I've seen in men's tennis in quite a while, especially for a guy, for a big guy. Yeah, he looks far more agile than Burdick to me, um, and possibly even more smooth in terms of the strokes on uh, on the on the ground strokes. I don't know; that doesn't necessarily mean they're better. I mean, I know the the sweetness with which. Um, Burdick hits the ball, you know, he just seems to have that wondrous timing, but he's without question a better mover. His serve's not as good yet. The serve is a weakness, but all the all the experts I'm surrounded by seem convinced that that's um there's nothing fatal with the serve that it that it will improve and get to where it needs to be. Mm. Yeah, I, I said that his chances of of winning this title have improved dramatically over the last 24 hours. Now obviously that the fact that he's playing Rublev is it's not an easy draw, but you mentioned Sitsipas and Medvedev both have lost in the last twenty four hours, and I would not have picked either player to lose. Even though Medvedev was up against Roberto Bautista-Agut, who had I didn't know this before um, before the match that he got a winning record. In fact, he'd won both of their previous meetings, hadn't he, against um, against Medvedev, and he beat him comfortably. Six four six two, at least on the scoreboard. From what I, from what I'm led to believe, I didn't get to watch that match. It was in the middle of the night, our time. It sounds like a really close, competitive first set, and close in the early stages of the second. And then it sounds to me like Medvedev just came up against someone giving him his own medicine, and he couldn't handle it. Yeah, I I only watch highlights of it because I have to sleep sometime. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of the time that I would be sleeping, I've been spending just sort of watching out for Coco Andreescu. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think you've described it personally, uh, uh, perfectly rather. He um, he just went toe to toe with him, and and I don't think Medvedev was there enough mentally to hang with that. Um, I don't know whether it's because what had been taken out of him physically earlier in the tournament, that extraordinary match where he was cramping against Popperin and walking like Charlie Chaplin. Um, I know he seemed to have bounced back physically very well against Tiafo, but yeah, it seemed like uh, it seemed like to stay with Bautista Rugut and his consistency, he needed to be right on it mentally, and he didn't didn't have that in him for whatever reason 
yesterday. But it was slight, slightly alarming seeing the kind of marathon man that whose thing is going toe-to-toe with the other guys. Um, have that have that done to him, mm. really. I don't know. It was sli- slightly alarming. I've, I've got this theory I'm developing uh, mm-hmm. based on two pieces of evidence, one of which is Daniel Medvedev as Catherine takes the mightiest swig of beer you've ever seen in your life. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd screenshotted that on my Zoom. <laughs> She turned the bottle much. vertically upside down to make sure it all it all was consumed in one go. Um, Medvedev had said about Batistriga the night before, I think he should be ranked a lot higher than he is because of the way he plays in practice. Basically, he's an unbelievable player is what he was saying about him. He was giving him massive credit. And, and in I think my initial reaction was, oh, mind games <laughs> from Medvedev again. And he hasn't got the greatest track record with mind games after what happened with Djokovic at uh, the Australian Open. And here again, he's got duffed up six four six two. I just wonder, and my other piece of evidence, uh, I'll, I'll give my theory first. My theory is, has he got in his mind that this guy is too good? And and it inhibits him when he gets out there or the, or the doubts start swirling in his head when he gets into a tight situation. Because the other person I was thinking of is Alexander Bublik, the way he talks about Yannick Sinner with this ridiculous reverence. He called him superhuman. He said to him at the net, you're not human. You're like 15 years old and you're playing like that. Has Have these players in their mind built these opponents up to be to be too good? Um, I think those are two very different case studies. I think it is with Bublik. That's a bit of that's a bit of bravado, and the him wanting to. I think the psychology there is him saying, "I could be as good as you if if I was less fun, <laughs> if I if I prioritize tennis ahead of." Uh, Everything else, but I'm too you know, cool. because what, too what cool he said, yeah, what he said a few months ago, when when Bublik beat him, uh, I think it was in Rotterdam somewhere, uh, maybe not Rotterdam, beat him recently anyway, and at the end of that match, uh, Bublik said, um, "What are you a machine?" When I was 19, I was drinking beer. I think the message he's trying to communicate is I could be as good as you but I want to have I a like life a, I want to have a life and I like a beer so yeah I, th- I think that's quite a different case study I, I, I'm not necessarily endorsing that worldview of Alexander Bublik's um, and I don't really want to know what Alexander Bublik would be like if he if he knuckled down and started being all serious because you know the world would be a less fun place uh, but with Medvedev do I think that? I'd be surprised. That doesn't seem very Medvedevy to me. Mm. But but maybe. Well, maybe we'll, we'll watch this space, won't we? Because that's it is quite interesting how Batistrogut just seems to tie certain players up in knots with his. Mm. He's me- done it to Djokovic. Yeah, the metronomic so, range of his shots. Yeah, um, I mean, I would say, with the greatest of respect to Roberto Batistrogut, it's better to have a. A mental block against him than against Djokovic or Sitsipas or you know the the players that he's he's going to be meeting in the biggest matches of his career. Mm. I also think 
Bartisregut to this point in his career is a bit of a Svitolina. He produces his best stuff at these types of events, not the majors, or at least the majors, you, he, he runs into the ceiling of what the other top players are able to do that he can't match. Yeah, I think that's true. And that quote about <laughs> the quote about uh, Badhus Rigut's man- ranking from Medvedev was a bit weird, wasn't it? He said, I think he should be ranked higher, but there's obviously a reason why he's not ranked higher. Mm-hmm. And I'll try and exploit that. <laughs> so, and he's 12 in the world and he has been as high as nine, which I would say is about right, personally. Yeah, and it, it he wasn't talking in terms of you know he should should be ranked higher, but but the pandemic ranking adjustments have screwed him over. He meant sort of generally over the course of his career, and I sort of think well, the rankings don't lie. What you know, I know that's a cliche, but but they don't. I don't I don't quite know what he meant by that. Hmm. Maybe it was a bit of mind games. Maybe it was second language. I'm uh, here. I'm really thanks. here for mind games, though. Even if they blow up in your face, maybe even more <laughs> so if they blow up in your face. Yeah, they are good. Um, okay, well, th- that's that lot of players. What happened to Stefano Sitsipas today? Because here's a guy who was a set, I think, and three-one up, and I believe he had a point for four-one. And my goodness, did he give? a surgical analysis of what happened at that point in his press conference. He was talking about how her catch unloaded into a flat inside-out forehand, and when you watch the replay of it, it literally lands in the postage stamp of baseline and sideline, a bit like the Djokovic slap cross-court forehand against Federer match point down, and suddenly the, the match just started to turn. But even so... This is a guy who, I mean, Sitsipas had just completely owned her catch previously, hadn't he? And it just went away alarmingly quickly. And, and, it, and it went away loudly, from what I could see, Catherine. I, I wasn't watching all, all of what went down live. I just suddenly came across a quick-fire 25 WhatsApp messages from you and Matt talking about the aggro. Weird aggro, though. Really, really weird aggro. I think, again, we might have found a a category of aggro which we're not on board with. Um, Yeah, he called it a self-explosion. And then, as you say, David, described described a point that I think will probably keep keep him up at night for the next six months. (laughs) Something like that. Is that about... (laughs) Yeah. He, the quota he sat for there a Sitsipas Masters 1000 quarterfinal loss. Sat there in his press conference, face sunburned. I mean, you're thinking after all these years, surely you've <laughs> sorted out sun protection. But anyway. He looked a mess. Miserable. I mean, throughout the, it was a wonderful, um, what's the visual equivalent of onomatopoeia? His appearance was reflecting the scoreline perfectly. He looked an absolute state. For the latter stages of that match, like change your shirt, change your shirt. It was revolting. <laughs> what because um, of sweat? Yeah, it soaked through, clinging right. to every inch of him. It must have been so uncomfortable. It was making me feel itchy watching him. Um, and I don't want to detract too much from from Hubert Hercatch. 
but I think I agree that it was a self self explosion or if you like implosion from Stefano Sitsipas and it was quite alarming um and it it sort of manifested itself in a really vicious outburst directed towards his dad in his players box really it was sweary and it was it was um prolonged and sweary and the players boxes are right there on the court so it was quite up close it's like sort of getting right in your dad's face and really swearing at him which for a grown up i know he's 22 but that's not good is it that's that's i don't think that's good for a father son relationship and i don't think it's good for a coach player relationship like nothing there is healthy it's a bit awkward when the world's watching yeah and i know we've seen this before in in its sort of lighter iterations we've laughed at it like makes me think of when matt and i were watching that epic warinka sits a pass match at the french open when he had a spell of telling his dad to leave and you're a ghost you're a ghost (laughs) We still don't really know what he meant by that. And that's sort of vaguely amusing, but I don't know if he ends up in trapped in this sort of immaturity because of that parent-child dynamic. That's not a healthy mm. thing. He is able to kind of beat himself at times. Uh, yeah. We, we, we saw that at the US Open, and I, I feel a bit bad saying that because that's taking away from what Borna Chorich achieved that night and it's taking away from what Hubert Hercatch achieved today. But it's definitely a big factor. That having been said, Hercatch served and sort of stamped down on his authority once he gained the upper hand he didn't let it go did he he said all right you're gonna give me these are you okay you're gonna pay and he he took over Mm, he showed me something i didn't know he had today i was waiting for him to realize where he was and perhaps squander it i certainly wasn't expecting him to serve out the match at the first time of asking um, we had had some discussion in the studio before the match about him, and Tim Hemman had really waxed lyrical about his game. And I tell you what, Daniela's eyes lit up at the mere mention of him. She loves his game, and I, they both pretty much agreed that he's underachieved. Yeah, and what's he doing at thirty-seven in the world? Yeah, and and well, Hemman said pretty categorically, it's mental. It's they had serious question marks over his mentality and. I think that frailty did show early on. He was pretty shaky to start with. There were some forays into the net which were a bit ugly um, early on in that match. And Sitsipas looked to be in complete control. And yes, he he had to accept a gift, and a gift of implosion from Sitsipas, but he still had to, to run with that gift. Um, and he ran a bit faster and more decisively than I... I might have thought. Hmm. Showed a bit of grit. Yeah. Yeah, so Sitsipas out. Uh, that means we have uh, her catch against the winner of this one, isn't it? Korda and Rublev. And Which then, is really good yeah, so far. Yeah, 3-2 at the moment, isn't it? Rublev. And then it's uh, Batistra Agut who's uh, in to the semis of the other one. Who's he up against? Against then? Sinner. Sinner. Oh, crikey, that's going to be... That's going to be good, isn't it? 
Um, Another toe-to-toe, taking the ball early baseline Sinner's, situation. Sinner's been really good so far, hasn't he? I mean, he's kind of he hasn't got talked about a whole lot yet, including by no. us, and yet. I think that that because sort of says its own story, that he, he makes winning look routine. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. He's already transitioned into that phase of, well, he's just winning. He's just doing what he does without much fanfare. Um, I I love the game of Yannick Sinner, I really do. I, I do have concerns that he might be your metronomic winning of titles guy. If there's going to be some metronomic winning of titles, and maybe there's not, I hope there's not going to be, but my candidate for that is Yannick Sinner. And the the backdrop to this is that's what I said that Medvedev would become and you would lose your aggro moments uh, because he would just become a, a winning machine and he would get gobbled up by the corporate uh, machine as well. And that didn't happen, did it? So, you know, maybe whatever. My concern is less about the corporate machine with Sinner. It's more about the just, I mean, kind of, I'm going to sound like Alexander Bublik now, more just like he just, just wants to get on the tennis court and win and go away. And sort of, he he can't, he is machine-like. And that's how he approaches the game. It's actually, Daniela always says, you know, it's misleading to think of him as an Italian. He is actually very much more typically Germanic, if you'll, if you'll allow me more, or Daniela, to use the sort of um, national stereotypes. And, and I think actually it's amazing how much tennis players often do conform to their national stereotypes. Think of the Italian players. Um Yannick Sinner is not like the other Italian players. He is nothing like Lorenzo Mazzetti. Um, and I think he's mentally stronger at the moment than Lorenzo Mazzetti, possibly than all the other youngsters. And I think that mental imperviousness might lead to some metronomic winning of titles. Mm. Well, maybe it's because of his age and his newness and the fact that I'm just enjoying watching him for, for the first year or year and a half of his career. But I don't, I don't feel like that when I watch him. I, I, to me, he is still pretty much an appointment view. I'm quite happy to, Ooh. I'm quite happy to order things so I can watch his matches because I find his game spectacular, even though it's, oh, well, that's um, good. In, it, it's very efficient, but it's the explosiveness of it all on both sides and his physicality, his ability to just lunge into corners on the baseline, maintain his balance and still hit with vicious power and turn defence into attack just so quickly. I, I I don't know whether that will get old for me, but as the rain mm. buckets down in Miami mm. and we get another delay, um, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really into Yannick Sinner at the moment. Well, I'm I'm pleased to hear that, and i i want it, I want him to be I want him to be exciting. I want people to be excited by him, um, and it is a very explosive game. I just I don't think you're ever going to get aggro from him, David. No, Can I you imagine no. a situation? He's lovely. That, He's a, what would have to happen for him to be riled? Well, 
think the someone only, has have to insult his mum or I, something. I think it's possible to do it. I think I think Ooh. that he is a really nice lad, really nice lad. But I think if you behaved what he How would, would consider to be really badly in in his direction, or you were out of order with someone, if if you took on, if uh, if somebody was really rude. To, we're giving to, uh, to an, coaching tips to how to behave abominably on the yeah, tennis court. Yeah, I, I think if if somebody was awful to the umpire, or I think he might stand up for them or something like that. You know, I think oh, he's just a really well, good nice. lad. You know, my sense. I is, do too. Oh, I'm not. I'm not wanting to. No, I know, but I, but I think he's probably got that in him that that he's okay. got an idea of how things should be. I don't know him from Adam. I've never met the guy, but when I've heard him interviewed and seen him in press conferences, he just seems like. A, a lad who's been really well brought up and sort of got his understanding mm. of what's right and wrong in his head. Um, mm. I, I mean, he is, can, he's very earnest, he's, but he's Rightly or wrongly, lad. though, that can sometimes be a tough sell. Yeah, I understand. You know... Um, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think people are going to love him. I think people are going to love his look, this, this red-headed, freckle-faced killer on the court i mean who's just so unassuming and yet he's absolutely in the kitchen lethal guy who and the other thing about him is you can stick him up against the very best players in the world and he can hurt them without mm. without exception and that's exciting mm. so yeah robert's um, just gone off court yeah squeezing an energy bar into his mouth oh dear it's all a bit mm. all a bit drab tonight, isn't it, with the weather? Don't need bad weather in Miami. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to two dollars a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hello tennis podcast listeners david here now you might know that i love a bit of cooking and i think i'm quite good at it but if i'm honest even i get fed up trying to work out what to do every night that's where home chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times well that's pretty cool Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So there's loads to still talk about, though, because we've already had today Ash Barty's win to get into the final. Hard to believe that she was 5-2 down, I think, in the in the first round and match point down and on the brink of defeat against uh, Kachova. Um, and really just, just looked so out of sorts. I mean, she hadn't played in a while, obviously, um, and and that's difficult. And she just sort of played her way into the tournament, really, didn't she? And then she's got some absolutely fantastic wins along the way because she's beaten Victoria Azarenka, she's beaten Arena Sabalenka, and now today she's beaten Alina Svitolina and wasn't troubled today. And this is a player who'd won five times against her before, and what what struck me above all else, I think, is just how happy she looks to be there. How in the press con- the, the the interviews afterwards, she's really embracing the fact that she's playing tennis and that she's she seems really just l- as though she feels lucky to have the opportunity to be there. And and I I, I think that's that's positive for her because it's a long old trip, and the fact is that she may well not go home again until the end of the year until the Australian Open um, what, what did you think of what you saw from her because I didn't watch all that match oh, I thought she was bloody good today I really did um, she made she made Selena sort of revert to type a bit and sort of go into a shell and just look like a counter puncher that had no no weapons to hurt Barty there was just one or two games in the second set where Barty did that thing of suddenly looking rubbish, which always really alarms me. And I think because of what happened at the Australian Open against Mukova, where she looked rubbish and you're expecting her to look world-beating again at any moment and snap herself out of it and it just didn't happen, I I think I I had I, I was worried for her. I was worried for her in that sort of game and half, but she did find it again. It, I mean, I do still have that question mark in my mind of how alarming it is, how bad she can suddenly look. Um, but so long as that doesn't happen very often, as long as she sort of tr- finds ways to pull herself back, obviously that's fine. Um, and she really was good today. Really, really good. That. F- the forehand was a dream and um, the guys in the studio were were remarking on her hitting over the backhand more, opting more for the topspin backhand and choosing to use the slice as a, as a weapon rather than being sort of backed into using the slice, um, which they were a bit more concerned about earlier in the week. So... Um, yeah, I really do like Maria Sakkari. We'll come on to talk about her in a, in the moment. But Abati, Andre, I'm all about these rivalries. I want these rivalries to to start emerging. Mm. Um, just on um, that, but there there never there hasn't been an Andrescu against Barty match. And when mm. when Barty won today, that thought went through my head of what that would look like as a contest between these two players who do a lot of similar things 
and uh, Andrescu doesn't slice as much. She just sort of, it seems to me, she just suddenly thinks, oh, I'm going to throw in a slice now, after she's just played about four drive backhands, as though, oh, I just, <laughs> I'm, I, I've got that, I'll use it. But I've got a forehand slice, I'll just chuck that in as well, because I can do anything as a tennis player, is how I, I view Andrescu's approach to the sport. But I just... As somebody who just loves the sport, doesn't always get what's going on, but loves the sport and just loves to watch the pattern of rallies, the thought of the of the, the options, the, the concoctions that those two might come up with for rallies really completely takes my mind over. And I need it, David, I need it to happen. <laughs> I, might expl- I might explode if that happens. <laughs> I really... It really gets my juices flowing. You, you the, need it particularly that. because you lost out on the one that we'd been billing all week of Andrescu uh, against Osaka. I will give Maria Sakkari her juice, and I'm I'm a fan of hers. I really am. But who didn't want Osaka Andrescu? Who didn't want that? Who doesn't want that in general? Who doesn't want every tennis match to be Osaka Andrescu? If you could have every tennis match be Osaka Andrescu... Who's saying no to that? Well, normal tennis fans aren't really, are they? Um, we've only seen it once. I think. I think who won that? It's a travesty. I can't remember who won it, but I remember it being close. Osaka um, won it, right? Matt, if you could give us a nod, yeah, yep, Osaka won it. It was weird. Not been. It was shortly after uh, Andrescu. It was a. It was a cracker, wasn't it? It was. I feel like it was six four in the third, something mm. like that. Um, and it was it, on the Asian swing shortly after Andrescu's uh, US Open victory. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it was great. And we've all had a very tough year and we deserve more of it. Mm. I'm sure it'll happen eventually, <laughs> Catherine. Uh, but I think it is now officially time to give Maria Sakkari a due. <laughs> and let's start by rewinding a few days to the last time we recorded a tennis podcast when we, we finished and editing got underway. And uh, Maria Sakkari was, was just starting out against Jessica Pagula. And uh, it was a pretty run-of-the-mill match as I'm writing my notes for the, uh, the show notes for the upload. Um, and having a chat with Matt about what the title of the podcast was going to be and all this sort of stuff... And then suddenly Sakari against Pigula became one of the matches of the of my entire life. And and I'm sitting there just watching every single point and completely ignoring all the work I'm supposed to be doing. Because Pigula has set herself up with four match points, eventually six, but there were four match points which Sakari saved with blinding winners off every single one. And it was it was sort of roll the dice tennis from from Sakari. But it was also controlled. I mean she wasn't just hitting the outside edges of the line. She was she was putting a good sort of two inches inside sideline and baseline and hitting with such authority and purpose. And and I think that's the first time I've ever seen her do that. She she was saying in her post match press conference the other day, I'm known for for my comebacks. Now I I have to say, she might know herself for the comebacks, and other people might. I I didn't know that really, 
<laughs> I, I've watched her for years. I've never thought, oh, Maria Sakkari, known for her comebacks. But anyway, she. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with yeah. her. Maria, I'm sure your comebacks are great, but you are known for your shoulders. <laughs> and and for being, I mean, she, she seems, I really like her. I like the way she sort of talks and carries herself. And But bloody hell, she was known for her comebacks after this. I'm telling you. <laughs> For, if, if it's only take it all back david if she's only sort of talking about that one match that's enough right because it's rare you see a player save that many match points all with the opponent unable to do a thing about it and pagula is not exactly you know just a, a rallying baseliner is she she goes for it as well and sakura just wouldn't let her near the ball yeah i think there was one where Pagula maybe could have had a, a hint of regret. Um, but yeah, five and a half match points. She she took the racket out of Pagula's hand. And I mean, I suppose, you know, it's the line between bravery and foolishness, isn't it? But I mean... I think it's still brave, even if it doesn't come off. I actually don't, having just come out with it, I actually don't like that um, that turn of phrase. She was doing it for good reason. That's what um, I liked about it. Yeah, you know, there was no, yeah, it wasn't just and she panic. didn't, and she and it was it was out of respect for Pagula, I think, mm. because if she let Pagula get the first strike in, she knew what would happen. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I actually think that could be quite tough for. Pagula. Uh, f- for for all that you know every action has an equal and opposite reaction i keep thinking and for all that this is just lit rocket boosters under maria sakari i worry that it's lit rocket boosters in the other direction on on jessica Bagula. Mm. we won't know until the next event and no. i hope not but um six six is a lot of match points i was yeah. asking after that match we did a big look back on it in the uh, in the Prime Video Studio, and I said to Daniela, "What's what's the most match points that you can ever remem- remember saving?" And it kind of made me realise how how special and rare six is because she actually didn't remember it. But there was one where she had saved four, but she didn't really remember that one. She said, "Oh, I think there was one where I saved a couple, but you know, she had a long career, and she, Daniela Hantikova has played more." three set matches than any other female player so in history so yeah for her to say god no never six and she was she was right you know that it was special um and you can see why it has i feel like that one match could 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 be a fork in the road for her career actually i do Mm. i I once had six match points against solid (laughs) Simon. Did you really? Yeah, I think he's he, no longer your rival, David. Maybe he's even your, more. I, I lost he's the match. Your partner. I, I lost the match. And this is like Federer and Nadal playing Lever Cup doubles. It's <laughs> the nicest thing I'll ever say to you, David. Yeah. So please take a moment to enjoy it. I'm assuming it's a lie. So um, <laughs> uh, I lost this match, and um, it. It went horribly wrong for me for quite a while after that. Yeah. So Pagula, in, I'm afraid in life, you're you're on the you're, court. It's you're likely to have a bad time of things on the court for a while. All right. Probably go to. Could two you just e- update two- people on how your doubles partnership with Solihull Simon 
is going. Yeah, I just I'm just letting Jessica Pagula know what's what's likely to come. She's got two years of losing ahead, right? Um, but yeah, on the doubles court uh, last night in in or two nights ago in our first blokes Tuesday night knockabout. Uh, we That's what pl- they call it. Is is that the official? That's title? the official name. Yeah. Uh, are women not allowed? You don't call it open after it. No, no women are allowed. And um, that wasn't a sentence. Well, they're not. And um, the um, we're allowed. We, we play Am doubles. I allowed to query that? No, because this is what it's called. Tuesday night's blokes night. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, women have got their own night as well. What can I say? Um, and uh, the the there's four doubles courts going on. And you, you play half an hour on each court, and Solihull, Simon, and I got half an hour together, and it's the only match that I played where I could find the court. So he's clearly the only good news I've got in my game at the moment. So anyway, people don't want to hear about this nonsense. Uh, they want to hear about Maria Sakura's next match, which was against Naomi Osaka, which uh, which was a bit of a surprise because it was 6-love, six 6-4. Six How did Naomi Osaka lose a set 6 love i mean she was really bad um sakari was great um and brave throughout she took that bravery from those match points and into that match with the soccer she kind of had to i think override some quite deeply ingrained Habits. Like, I think she has to force herself to be as aggressive as she was against Osaka. I, I suspect it will come more naturally as she goes along. Um, but she she talked quite candidly about how she felt like she regressed during her hard quarantine period and, and everything she'd worked on with her team in the off-season, which was about being more aggressive. She kind of lost during that quarantine period and she... She used the phrase I lost I felt like I lost myself a little bit. And I think saving those six match points and the bravery of that, she she almost quite literally lifted that and took it into the into that Osaka match and and played the de facto world number one, which is how people were talking about Naomi Osaka at that stage before she lost. Um Played played kind of the biggest ball striker and shot maker in tennis at her own game, um, and it was it was a joy. And look, she was helped in that opening set by Osaka being really bad. Osaka was bad. Yeah, I mean the, the, um, the WhatsApp was telling me that this is the worst I've ever seen a play. Yeah, she couldn't she couldn't find the court. She really couldn't find the court. But then. But then you're waiting for the other shoe to drop in the second set and give Naomi Osaka the opportunity to have an Osaka surge and she'll take it. And I think that's where that I think actually the second set is um, of more credit to Sakari than the first set. Because I could totally see the scenario where Osaka just turns it on and clinches the second set on a tie break. And well, then she went clinches for one the, up, didn't she? Yeah. And I thought, okay, she's getting this set and then six two third set. And Zachary just slammed the door shut. Um, and that was what was most impressive to me, that second set, not the six love first set. What did you think? 
yes, uh, I was I was surprised that, that Osaka didn't kind of ever look comfortable out there. She looked really careful with her ball toss, as though she didn't really know where that was going, and therefore it was the, windy, wasn't it? The serve mm. wasn't really happening, and everything. The, her whole game throughout looked careful by her standards because she didn't trust her game and what was going on out there. The, I think the 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 quotes that slightly made me sit up were when talking about the French Open and the clay and Wimbledon and the grass. She made a comment about how she thinks she will play more freely on clay and grass than she was able to this last week in on the hard courts. And it did make me think, because obviously she's a hard court specialist, it made me think, well, here's a woman who hasn't lost for 13 months. She'd won 20, 22 odd matches in a row. Maybe there's just an example of the the pressure that comes with her having won the US Open and won the Australian Open and and people just kind of assuming she's going to turn it on. Whereas on the uh, on the clay and the grass, that won't be the case. Mm. Well, I had got into the groove of thinking that way about her and taking it all a bit for granted. I was waiting for that surge in the second set, waiting for her to take over at 4-1 in the second set. I thought, this is Osaka's now. Um, I, I can't imagine how a 13-month, 23-match winning streak feels. I mean... I, <laughs> I'm not a four-time Grand Slam champion, but my psychology would be, oh my God, who's going to, I can only lose this. Is it going to be today? If it's not today, it's going to be tomorrow. Um, And I, I think that's quite human. And I know she's not, you know, she's superhuman in many, many ways, but how can there not be an element of that? Um, So, you know, I always like to be reminded that these people are human. Hmm every now and then yeah. and it, but it's probably healthy for us to be reminded that they're human mm. yes indeed well yeah everybody's got to lose sometimes and uh and sakari certainly deserved that win so she flays uh andrescu you would think in a few hours time depending on the weather but they're still off court for for rain at the moment so we'll see how all of that evolves but it's going to be ash barty who the winner of that plays in the final so soon to be out of date tennis speculation oh lovely could be a real could be a real gift to andrescu if that match doesn't happen tonight oh yeah that's a good point yeah with the the physical nature of andrescu's wins over muguruza she followed that anissa mova matchup that we were talking about the other day by beating gabini muguruza in three sets then she played um uh, Cerebes Tormo, who is a player she had the utmost respect for physically for staying with her and just running a ragged out there. But still Andrescu ended up coming out on top. So, yeah, you wonder how much is left in the tank for Andrescu now, but we will we will find out. Um, the, the doubles has seen Dan Evans and partner Neil Skupski get into the final today. And I don't think they've ever played a tournament together before. Um, this one and yet they've they've managed to have a, a load of really good wins fantastic come from behind win today against Dodic and Polisek and really did look the business I mean Dan Evans apparently hasn't won a doubles title since 2013 I mean eight years ago but he can play that that code of the sport uh, and 
showed it out there. I mean, and I think Skupski's a. I mean, I don't know that much about doubles, but I loved every point that I was watching out there. The the agility, the reactions, the power, and the bravery of these players to just stand at the net and let let their opponents smash the ball at them and trust their own instincts. But Skupski can really play. He he's he holds his own out there. Yeah, it was a heck of a watch, wasn't it? In, in fact, the the previous match they played was a heck of a watch as well. Um, I love the intensity of Dan Evans on. I mean, on any court, I think he's fast becoming becoming one of tennis's best competitors. Um, and I think actually that's most evidenced by the fact that he brings it on the doubles court. No crowds, doubles. I mean, yesterday in the quarterfinals, one of his opponents I had never heard of. It was Horieta Cow, and actually, I, I can't. Alva, Alvaro, Alvaro, um, and he was just, just so into it, so like infectiously into it, Dan Evans, um, and and that makes you into it. You know, why should I care as a viewer? Well, because he cares so damn much, and and I love that. Um, and yeah, it was really high quality tennis as well. Um, they, if they, I mean, they're already the first ever British pair to reach a Miami Open doubles final. If they were to win, they would be the first ever British pair to win an ATP Masters 1000 title. Obviously, British individuals have won doubles titles with partners of another nationality. But that's massive. Mm. Yeah, big deal. So anyway, mm. that will be very interesting to follow over the next day or two. And just a thought spared, I think, for Ken Skubsky, um, Neil's brother and usual partner. They won the title together in Acapulco um, a couple of weeks ago. So Neil Skubsky's on this credible, incredible winning streak. But he um, posted on his Instagram today to say just a quick update on what's happening I arrived home last Monday after <clears throat> excuse me after a great t- trip to Mexico early Saturday I started experiencing pains in my right leg which got diagnosed as being a blood clot I'm really disappointed but I have to accept my situation and take the time necessary to recover I'm looking forward to getting back playing with Neil as soon as possible so mm, um yeah wish him all the best wish him all the best and um yeah, I wonder, I wonder how it feels for him to be watching watching his brother. Yeah, light it up with with Dan Evans. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure he would love to be out there doing it himself. But I mean, those two are really close. I'm sure he's absolutely mm. chuffed for him, you know. And uh, and this is it's a, a good, I'd say it's a good job of their brothers in that situation. <laughs> if it were just a a bloke that you'd been playing with for a couple of months, <laughs> you'd be thinking, oh, I bet he's. I bet he's eyeing up, eyeing up a better, <laughs> better I mean, prospect. Neil, Neil Skupski now isn't that about eleven wins in a row as well? So I mean, um, he he is on a run at the moment. Yeah. So we'll see uh, how they get along in the final. Uh, by the way, just on the subject of injuries, we we saw also a, a post on Instagram today from Danielle Collins, the American player who revealed that she was going to have to take uh, some time out from the tour because she's going to have surgery for endometriosis, which is a condition that I've, I, I don't ever remember a tennis player talking about, um, experiencing and suffering from. And 
it's not going to be the first player um and it's i think it's actually really really important i don't know what you think Catherine. i think it's really important and that that daniel collins has has done this and i mean you don't have to of course you don't but i think it's the fact that she has is is really really strong and important powerful positive message mm i mean not just tennis player how much how much spotlight do you hear about endometriosis full stop i mean i know i know lena dunham um has spoken a lot about it and i think she's she's really moved moved things on and done a lot um but it's not that uncommon i know lots of women that have suffered with endometriosis and i think it's the sort of thing like a lot of sort of women's problems that we just sort of suffer with and accept and also accept that the world doesn't want to hear about it that much um because it's kind of i mean the symptoms are kind of like you know uh, sort of in day-to-day terms like you know period pains on acid on acid and we're so used to just sort of suffering in silence about all of that um so yeah i I think it's really brave of her and very in keeping with her personality actually um because i think she is very very brave person to um to speak out about that and find it hard to believe that there haven't been other other tennis players that haven't haven't suffered with that in the past and and either chosen to or felt they had to suffer in silence you know I i don't think any others should feel they have to speak out about it. Absolutely not. But equally, I think it's very positive that that she has. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Um, right then, well, I think that just about wraps things up for tonight. It's 2.11am and uh, Catherine's going to go to bed now. So am I. Well, we I sh- really are up with the partridge, aren't we, yeah. David? Yeah, we are indeed. Uh, Matt's going to edit the podcast now. How... Um, um- how do we do shout outs of that, Matt? Well, we just, you know, well, I managed it without you, Catherine, and, uh, the, you know, uh, I was stumbling ab- along a bit, really. Um, just before we get on to that, um, I, I, we've had a, a few emails about the Professional Tennis Players Association with thoughts on that from listeners, some of whom felt that maybe we could have been a little bit more understanding of the players as, uh, as, um, in, in the sort of labour against management uh, typical uh, standoff. I mean, I think I do think this is a different type of situation, and I also think the uh, uh, as we've detailed uh, quite a lot, the the timing of it and the nature of the the method is something that I don't think has been handled as well as it could have been. I think Catherine made a good a good set of points in the last podcast about it, but I've read I've been reading the emails. It's too late to really get into them. To quite honest. <laughs> So, uh, but, but my response would be when they detail their manifestos and their their manifesto and their official concerns and proposition for progress. Oh, I'm absolutely here for that. So it's not the end of uh, of the discussion. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that in the future. Um, we're also going to talk more in the future. In fact, right now about our mascot for this week, which is oats. Oh. Oats cheers very you up every time in, you see a picture. Oats is a belter. Um, I didn't at, have the opportunity on Monday to uh, to ask whether there was a hall. <laughs> I think you did, actually. No, no, I was gone. Were I you? was gone. I oh. did it on WhatsApp when oh, Matt right. first told us about Oats. Yeah. Because there we, we, had a, we had Saunders 
and Saunders originally had a French, so yeah. I would like to know whether Oates originally had a hall. Right, there we are. Mm. <laughs> uh, we've got an executive producer who's Chris Albert Lee, top bloke. Uh, Billy Jean, the dog, who's been having <laughs> the loveliest time in spring, um, gallivanting around the countryside with, with uh, Catherine's brother, uh, uh, is sponsored by Billy Jean King, the actual <laughs> Billy Jean King. <laughs> what uh i am i have got a mascot that is rogue hello rogue uh catherine's got zeus zeus i'm really sorry to tell you this but we had sits a pass in this week's predictions oh dear and he's he's self-exploded on us <laughs> uh, matt's got scarce mouse matt's waving there he is. He wasn't Wait, waving before you said that. Well, he is now <laughs> and we got shout outs and here they are we've got rishi Kanna. Who Ooh, is? How are we spelling Kana? Uh, K H A N N A. And Rishi has written to us on a number of occasions. He is Ooh. a lovely chap, and uh, he's often sending nice tweets to us as well. He's got oh. a, he's got a lot of tennis thoughts, and he he thinks about things very deeply. <laughs> and he's a top tennis podcast fan. So thanks oh, very much, hello, Rishi. Rishi. Uh, we got Simon Pierce, who was our guest editor recently of one of our li- of our listeners' show. And we like Simon, who entertains me every time he writes. Uh, and, we've, <laughs> and we've got hello, Simon, and he's my vintage. And we've got Mark, who in brackets is backer number four seven six, and tattooed on his pectoral. No doubt. If you don't, if you don't give us a surname. We're going to assume that you've got your number <laughs> tattooed about your person. That's right. So, you know, give us your surname and where you're from and all those things. Uh, right. Well, hopefully Matt will be back with us on Monday in person on the podcast. We certainly will be. And uh, we'll have... Hey, Rublev and Corder are back. Are they? Oh, crikey. Mm. It's 2.15am. <laughs> I mean, I'm, go- I'm going to get dragged into this, aren't I? Um, that's all right. Um, we'll be back with another show on Monday to talk about how it all went over the next few days. <laughs> it's all a lot of fun to follow the Miami Open in the middle of the night in the rain. Catherine presenting on the TV, watch her on Prime Video every single day. She's blamming good at it. And uh, we're going to be watching, we'll be listening uh, to what she's got to say with all of her, her guests. And we hope you're listening to us on Monday. See you then. 